Today's reading is from Acts 10, verses 34 to 46a. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is like the first real Sunday of the new year. I mean, I know January 1st was a Sunday, but this is like getting back into routines. How are you feeling? Are you like, are you a little grumpy because of your new diet? Are you uh, a little tired because of your exercise routine at all? I don't know what you got going on for the new year, if you're resolution people or not. Just know that when you slip up on them or if they just totally come crashing down on you, you're still loved. God loves you. Other people love you. Be kind to yourself when the resolutions don't work out. It's going to be okay. All right? Okay. Well, last year in the fall, we were going through this series called On Mission, through the book of Acts. And we took a pause um, during Advent to kind of work through Advent and Christmas and New Year's and all that kind of stuff uh, from that series. But now that we are beyond Christmas and New Year's, even beyond the 12 days of Christmas, we are picking up where we left off in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is a story that's being told by Luke, who's one of the early followers of Jesus, and it's what's happening to all of those followers of Jesus after Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, and then ascended to be with the Father. It's a story of how they are witnesses of his life, death, and resurrection, but not just witnesses of his life, death, and resurrection. It's how the Holy Spirit empowers them to be witnesses, to be able to tell other people about the good news of who Jesus is as king 
and that we can have access to God through Jesus. The church, the people of God, have become the dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit, and they've been put on mission through Jesus. Hold on, hold on. Everything breaks in the new year. There we go, good. They are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and through Samaria and to the ends of the earth, er, ends of the earth. And that's the progression that we see in the book of Acts is that the gospel is moving further out to more and more people. And that mission that Jesus gives his followers, the church, continues today for us as well. So we keep seeing when we're in this series every Sunday how we live that mission out. In what ways does the story of Acts connect to the mission that we're to live out today as well? And what we call that is follow Jesus and share his love. That's what we say at New Hope. So we're going to get back into Acts today, but first, before we get into anything important, I got a question for you, and I'm looking for responses here. Are any of you picky eaters? No? No picky eaters in here? No one will admit to it. Oh, we got a picky eater over there. Okay, you may not be picky eaters. You may not call yourself a picky eater, but there are probably some things you don't like. What don't you like to eat? Liver. <laughs> Several immediate responses of liver. Okay, liver. Mayonnaise. Oh, bananas. Well, I totally misheard that one. Bananas. Okay, yeah. Oh, they're so good, though. Goat cheese. Goat cheese. Oh, a lot of health benefits to goat cheese over, you know, cow cheese. I don't, okay, what else? Coconut. Uh, I think I'm kind of with you there on the coconut. I don't know how I feel about coconut. Okay. Orange juice? Oh, oysters. Oh, I just... I, oysters are a special treat. I've had them two days in a row now, which is, oh, they're so good. Oh, man. All right, oysters. Oh, yeah. Well, we probably all have some of those things that, that we don't like. There are two really particular ones for me. One, I don't like cooked mushrooms. I love them raw, but once they're cooked at all, warmed up even slightly, mm, they're not so much for me. The other one is olives, but olives, there's like a ranking for them. So green olives that are like stuffed with garlic or pimentos or something like that, they're good. Black olives are tolerable if they're on a pizza or a salad. I'd never ask for them, but if they're on there, that's fine. Kalamata olives are from hell. They are a tool of Satan to bring misery to people. No, there's no need for Kalamata olives. I know other people really like them. Kids in particular probably have problems with being picky. In fact, like 50% of all kids statistically have a picky eating kind of problem, which is, to me, it seems low. I think it's more like 100% of kids. At least for my kids, like, we don't ever really take them out to restaurants because when we do, even if we order them food that they like, like mac and cheese, they don't like it. Like, you like mac and cheese. I don't like that mac and cheese, though. <laughs> and sometimes our food preferences can get in the way of us enjoying a good meal. 
And sometimes our other preferences in life can get in the way of what God is doing as well. I wonder if Jesus ever had to deal with picky eaters. Actually, got a comic here. Jesus uh, with his loaves and fish. Has that fish been tested for mercury? I can't eat that. I'm a vegan. Is that bread gluten-free? We've actually got a picky eater in our passage here today, Peter. Picky Peter. Now, there's more to this whole story. We're going to be in all of Acts chapter 10 and 11. If you've got a device or a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 10. Uh, there's more than what we could read through right now, but this is kind of how it starts out. There's this Roman centurion. He's an officer in the military. He's named Cornelius, and Luke describes him as a God-fearing person who was generous, prayed to God, and was respected by the Jewish people. But it's important to recognize that he was not Jewish, nor was he a convert to Judaism. He was a Gentile. But God, knowing his heart, sent an angel to him to tell him that he should go talk to Peter, one of the first followers of Jesus. Now, at this time, the church had really just been exploding in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And it, things were going really well. In fact, Luke says that they were enjoying a time of peace. And Peter was traveling around visiting all of these new believers. And he was heading out toward the coast and he was doing miracles. And he, he healed this paralyzed man and then he raised this girl from the dead. He was in this town called Joppa when that happened. And Joppa is a coastal town on the Mediterranean coast in Israel, and it's just south of where Cornelius was. Well, while Cornelius uh, was having this talk with a, an angel, Peter falls into a trance, and he has a vision. And in this vision, there's this sheet that comes down from heaven, and there are all these animals, different kinds of animals that are on this sheet. And there's a voice that comes and says, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Uh, sorry if I didn't do a trigger warning for any of the vegetarians in the room. If that triggered you, I'm sorry. Peter says, no way. I've never eaten anything unclean. Now, my own kids, they've never used that excuse at the dinner table before, but I can tell by their face that they think the food is unclean in some way. Peter was, wasn't just a picky eater, though. He was an observant Jew, and he followed the law given through Moses to the Israelites that they were all supposed to follow. And part of that law included a lot of do's and don'ts about food. There were, there were foods that were unclean and that Peter had never touched before. The poor guy had never tried pork belly in his life. Well, God doesn't take no for an answer. Luke says, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Don't be a picky eater, Peter. God has said that it's all good for you. God is in the process of doing something pretty great, and you don't want your preferences to get in the way of what God is doing. Now, while Peter is trying to understand what this vision means, Cornelius' servants show up and ask Peter to come speak to Cornelius and to his whole household. So he goes, and when he gets there, he says, You are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate 
or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now we get to the crux of the situation. Cornelius may be respected by the Jews, but he's a Gentile. He's unclean. Peter's not supposed to even enter his house. And this is a much bigger deal than we could probably really understand or wrap our heads around today. But there's a serious boundary that's being crossed right now in the story. Peter tells Cornelius and his household about Jesus, and he finishes by saying that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Then Luke writes, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The the circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Back in Acts chapter 2, we saw the Holy Spirit come down on all the believers in Jerusalem in a pretty dramatic way. And it moves out through Judea. And then in Acts chapter 8, we see the Spirit come down on Samaritans, which is a big deal. Now we're at this next big movement of the Spirit in the story of Acts. As the message about Jesus goes out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, the boundaries of God's kingdom are being pushed out as well. This is the whole point of this passage. This is why Luke is including it in his story about what's happening with the church. In order to make it clear that God's kingdom is going to be broad in its reach, that God is going to do what he said he would do. He's blessing all nations. There's no exclusive claim to God. The kingdom of God was never meant to be small or exclusive. Now, I know Jesus did say that small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few will find it. But from the beginning, it was, always inclu- it was always intended to include all of humanity. Now, not everyone accepts that invitation, though. But even before Jesus came, God's grace and mercy were available to anyone who would turn to him, whether they were a Jew or a Gentile. There's a great example of this from the Old Testament that actually connects with this story, relates to the story in Acts. Just as Peter was in Joppa, there was a prophet in the Old Testament who spent some time in Joppa as well. His name was Jonah. Now, a prophet is supposed to receive a message from God and then give it to other people. That's the whole role of a prophet. And that's what Jonah was. So God came to Jonah and gave him a message to give to the Ninevites, who were the Assyrians. Those were the enemies of the Israelites who eventually conquered Israel and took them, took them captive. God wanted Jonah to take a message to them, and Jonah said, nope, I'm not going to do that. So he headed to Joppa on the coast to get onto a ship to go as far away from Assyria as he could possibly get to go away from the Ninevites. 
Well, if you know the story, you know that there's this big storm, the ship almost sinks, all the sailors throw Jonah overboard, and then he's swallowed by this great fish here, who then vomits him back onto shore, uh, and then God appears to him again and says, please go speak to the Ninevites. Reluctantly, Jonah goes to the Ninevites, and reluctantly, he gives a message to the Ninevites, and amazingly, they all repent. Every one of them, it says, even their cattle turn to God and repent. Now, Jonah wasn't too happy about that, so he went outside the city to sulk for a little while and to look at the city and hope that God was going to bring down some fire and brimstone or something along those lines. And in that last part of Jonah, there's this telling thing that he says to God. He says, this is why I didn't go to Nineveh. I knew you were going to do this. You're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He knew exactly what the character of God was like, and he didn't want to see his enemies receive that character from God. He didn't want his enemies to receive grace and mercy. Jonah's preferences almost got in the way of what God was doing to the Ninevites. And we don't know if he ever really got it in the end. Peter, who in the Gospels is called the son of Jonah, was different. Now, both of them were sent to their enemies, one to the Assyrians, one to the Romans. Both of those groups of people were conquerors, oppressors of the Israelites, but they were sent in order that their enemies could receive grace and mercy from God. Both of them protested, but Peter was a lot quicker to pick up on the things that God was doing and being able to see what God was doing. And he didn't let his culturally ingrained aversions keep him from being a part of what God was doing. Here's the lesson from Peter and from Jonah for us. Sometimes there are people in our lives who we don't want to experience the love of God. Sometimes there are whole groups of people that we don't want to experience the love of God because they're not like me. Sometimes there are individuals that we really don't want to experience the, the love of God because maybe they've hurt us in some way or maybe they just rub us the wrong way. Just like we're repulsed by some foods, we can also be repulsed by some people. Now, we don't like to admit that. In fact, we may not even recognize it in ourselves. But I don't think it's actually all that uncommon. In fact, I think it's kind of picking up in our society right now, just like food aversions and food allergies have increased a lot over the years. I think our people allergies are increasing as well. The message from Peter and Jonah is still very relevant for us today. We're more ready than ever to push people away that don't act like us or think like us or behave like us. We're quicker in our society right now to write people off. 
We don't like their, politi- their, their politics. They're too conservative or they're too liberal. We get a little contempt in our hearts when we drive by the RVs and the tents outside. Why does it have to be such an eyesore? We feel slighted or cheated by somebody, and we can't wait till they get their comeuppance. Or we don't like somebody's beliefs or their ideology. We can't wait to see them proven wrong. The issue is that that person or those people are made in the image of God. And God wants their attention and he wants their affection. He wants them to know who Jesus is and he wants them to be like Jesus. And he's going to do that through Jonah, through Peter, and through me, and through you. As long as we don't get too picky about it. Because let's face it, God wasn't too picky when he chose you or me, right? And that's really the point of Jonah. God is gracious to Jonah and by extension to the Israelites, but Jonah and by extension the Israelites don't want to be gracious towards others. God has been gracious to us through Jesus, but sometimes we don't want to be gracious towards others, or we don't want God to be gracious towards others. Okay, I'm going to ask you another question, and I'm looking for practical responses here. What do you do when you have an aversion to someone or to a group of someones? How do you deal with it? What's that? Stop and pray. I think that's a great response. Yeah. Like, turn to God. We want to be more like Jesus. That's going to happen the more regularly we turn to God in the moments when we need to. Yeah, good. Yeah, so not only pray yourself, but ask other people to pray for you. Like, hey, I'm really feeling some angst in my heart toward this person or these people. Will you pray for me? That's great. Yeah. How else? Seek wise counsel. Yeah. Wisdom, being able to see somebody else who's wise, you know, right, that they are going to interact with people maybe better than what you're doing, what you're seeing in yourself. And so you're going to seek their wisdom to know how did they do that? How did they get to that point? Good. Yeah. Yeah, remember what I've been taught and simply move forward. We maybe know the truths of Scripture or know what Jesus has taught. We know what he expects from us. And so I need to take some steps forward in that. Good. Let me give you a few really simple ones here. One is to pray for them. Pray for the person that you're feeling the aversion to. If you can hold them in your heart and actually advocate for them to God, that's going to change your heart for them. 
The second is to spend time with them. Sometimes we feel an aversion to somebody that we really don't know. But if we spent some time with them and got to know them personally, even if we don't agree with them in some things, guess what? We're actually going to build up some affection toward them. And the last one is to humanize them. Try to understand that they are a person with a whole context and that there are reasons that they think or do the things that they do, just like there are reasons that you think and do the things that you do. I'm sure there are other ways as well, but those are just three simple, practical ways if you're feeling an aversion to somebody else. Being picky, though, isn't just about what you don't like. We're also picky because of the things that we really do like that we don't want to deviate from. In our house, we eat tacos every week, usually on Tuesdays, but not always on Tuesdays. And for one of my kids, Caleb, that's his favorite. If he, wants to, if he has an option to choose what dinner is going to be, it's going to be tacos. But he only eats tacos in one very specific way. Even if he likes some of the other ingredients on the table, his tacos are ground beef, uh, cheddar cheese, and a soft tortilla wrapped up like a burrito. He calls it a taco. It's really a burrito. If we have like ground turkey one night, nope, not, not going to do that. Hey, buddy, you like guacamole. Do you want to try some guacamole? Nope, don't want any guacamole on it. The way I eat my tacos, ground beef, shredded cheese, and a soft tortilla. That's the way that he does it. Sometimes there's what seems like a standard way of doing things, and deviating from that way of doing things can be a challenge for us, moving into the unknown or the unfamiliar, having a crunchy taco instead of a soft taco. When you think about this story in Acts, think about the change, the shift in thinking that had to happen for Peter in that moment. What had been called unclean to him for his whole life, suddenly he had to think about as holy to God. And the promised Holy Spirit was going out into whole new territory. I was trying to think of an illustration to help us understand, because we really don't, we don't live in that context anymore. I don't know if this is going to be a good illustration or not, but I was thinking about an inheritance. And if you had a wealthy relative and your whole life, you were told you are going to receive the, the inheritance from that relative someday. Your whole life, you're building up to that, you're anticipating that, you're counting on that. And when that relative passes away, you discover that the inheritance has actually been placed in a foundation. And anybody who goes to the foundation and asks for money will get a portion of that inheritance. What you thought was going to be an exclusive inheritance for you ended up being a shared inheritance for anybody who would ask for it. Now, Peter really quickly got to the point of moving into that unfamiliar and removing any barriers for Cornelius. Peter preached to Cornelius and his household. They received the Holy Spirit. They are baptized. And Peter stayed there for a few days. And this is what Luke records next. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. 
So when Peter went out to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter had been a part of what God was doing, but then he had to convince a group of people that what God was doing was different than what they were used to, but that it was good. In this particular part of the story, it actually goes remarkably well. Peter tells them the whole story of what happened at Cornelius' house and with his whole household. And then Luke says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And if only it were that easy to convince a group of people about some different way or different direction to go in. Huh? This issue, though, of Gentiles in the church doesn't go away. It ends up being a sticking point later on in the book of Acts. And then in a lot of the writings in the New Testament, it ends up being a point of focus as well. It isn't easy for people to adjust to that change and it ended up being that Jewish believers tried to put boundaries and, and, and barriers for Gentile believers to cross before they could be part of the community. There's kind of a helpful framework to think about this. Uh, it's called the social set theory, and it was developed by a man named Paul Hebert. He was an anthropologist, but his undergrad was in mathematics. So he took this concept from mathematics of sets bounded sets and fuzzy sets, and he applied it to anthropology and to sociology to kind of examine how do people um, group themselves. And so one of those ways is with a bounded set. A bounded set has really strong boundaries to it that identify whether a person is in or out of that group. Israel is a very bounded set. You are either in or you are out. You are an Israelite or you are a Gentile. Now, you could do some pretty dramatic things as a Gentile to get close or even to get inside the boundary. But even if you chose to do all those things, you would never fully be in. There'd always be some aspect of you that is a Gentile. Now, Paul Hebert, the anthropologist, he thought America was basically really good at bounded sets. We're really good at identifying who our groups are, who is us and not them, who is in and who is not, and, and who's not out. He also, though, came up with a different framework that was called a centered set. And a centered set has something really important at the core that draws people in. And people around it either move toward the center or they move away from the center, but there aren't the boundaries that identify whether people are in or out. But that thing at the center is so compelling that most are gonna move toward it. Now there's a ton of nuance that we could talk about with this concept. There's a whole lot really that we'd have to think about but a lot of people would say that the church should be more of a centered set with Jesus and our very core beliefs right at the center and not a boundary that marks whether people are in or out of the church. 
People are either moving toward Jesus, and they could be far out here moving toward Jesus, or they're moving away from Jesus, and they could be right in by the center and moving away from Jesus, or what can be really common is they could be close to the center but not moving forward, not moving toward Jesus anymore, just kind of there. The way that we portray Jesus, with all the nuance that has to be you know, uh, captured with that idea, the, the, the main point is that the way that we portray Jesus should be so captivating that people are moving toward him and that we're not focused on the boundaries that people have to cross in order to be accepted. Now, in our context, we don't have to think too much about Jew and Gentile or, uh, you know, uh, what are the boundaries for Gentiles so much. But there are two things that we do, I think, from time to time. We put barriers up for others to be a part of the kingdom of God, and we emphasize the wrong thing rather than Jesus. These are the ways that our preferences get in the way of what God is doing. Peter could have gone to Cornelius and created barriers for him to come to Jesus. He could have said, here are the things that you need to do. Here are the ways that you need to change in order to be one of us. That's not what he does, though. Peter gives Cornelius a compelling view of who Jesus is, and that's it. It says that Jesus is Lord of all. He brings peace between God and people. He will judge the living and the dead. But anyone who trusts in him will have their sins forgiven. Let me give you an idea of what this can look like when we focus on boundaries rather than on Jesus in the center. Before I came to faith in Christ and I was in my early 20s, I was working at Safeway and I had a coworker who was a Christian and I have very fond memories of him. He was a very kind, gentle person but I was in the process of getting my first tattoo at that time, and he was adamant that I should not be getting a tattoo, that that was not a good thing for me to do. He was focused on the boundary of what it is, what boundary I had to cross to be good or right in his view, and that was to not get a tattoo. He'd quote scripture to me about not getting a tattoo. I remember that very well, but I don't remember him ever telling me about Jesus. Not once can I remember him telling me about Jesus. When we tell people that they have to change before they can be associated with Jesus, we're putting an unnecessary barrier up. We're putting, we're putting up the in or out walls and we're having an us versus them mindset. Now, sometimes we do that to others, but sometimes we do that for ourselves as well. We put barriers up for ourselves to keep us from Jesus, to keep us from moving forward with Jesus. Maybe we don't like the ideas that we hear about him or even the things that we read in Scripture. Maybe there's something that is keeping us away. We're putting barriers up for ourselves. More often than putting up barriers, though, I think we emphasize 
the wrong thing. We put the wrong thing in the center and draw attention toward that rather than on Jesus and the gospel. We so easily hold on to something in our minds, something that captivates our attention, and it becomes the thing for us. Right now, that seems to be a lot of political topics, whether we're talking about abortion or immigration, gender and sexuality, even government spending sometimes takes more of our attention than Jesus. Or maybe it's just politics generally, whether we're left-leaning or right-leaning. Maybe that's particular theological ideas. Or maybe it's even ourselves. We often put ourselves at the center and whatever our preferences are, and then we have a boundary around us on whether people can come in or out based on our preferences. Let me tell you one more story on how this one works, and this one I'm a little embarrassed to tell you uh, about, so have some grace for me. This is when I first came to Christ. I remember before I came to Jesus, I would hear about Christians who would like totally oppose a particular movie or a book or something like that. And I would just think that was the silliest thing. And then I became a Christian and I was so zealous at the time uh, when I first came to faith. I remember my sister was reading The Da Vinci Code. Remember when that book came out? And I think Christians kind of made a big deal about it. And I remember having a conversation with my sister like, you should not be reading that book. And here's why you shouldn't be reading that book. My sister was instantly put off and wanted no part of the conversation at all. I'd made some other topic the central focus rather than just telling my sister about Jesus and giving her a compelling view of who Jesus is. We're on mission for God here. And so what are we emphasizing? What are you emphasizing in your life more than Jesus? Do the people who know you, do they see Jesus? Or do they see your preferences, your political preferences, or any other preferences? As we're being witnesses of Jesus, we don't want our our picky preferences to keep people from entering the kingdom of God. Sometimes we push away the things or the people that God is holding on to, and we hold on to the things that God is not holding on to. What if in our lives, our words, our actions, our interactions with others, They did nothing but show a compelling view of who Jesus is. What if we didn't make it about culture wars or ideologies or secondary theological issues or all the various behaviors that people participate in? And what if we just made it about Jesus? When we do that well, that's when we're bearing witness to who Jesus is. That's when we're living out the mission that we see in the book of Acts. What if we didn't create boundaries that make people either in or out, but instead help others and ourselves as we ourselves grow to be more like Jesus? So back to my question from the beginning. Are you a picky eater? What preferences do you need to give up so that God can do what he wants to do in and around you? 
What people are you picky about? What are the things you're drawn to that take attention away from Jesus? Jesus is setting a grand table and he's inviting us to that meal. It's going to be the best meal we have ever had. But there's no menu to choose from. So we can't be picky when we get there. We won't need to, though, because it's going to be the best thing we have ever had. Let's pray. Just thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich, abounding in love. Help us to be more like you in that. Help me to be more like you. Help me to be gracious and compassionate to other people. I pray, God, that you would um, help us to see Jesus, who you are in all of your goodness, and that there would be nothing else that could take our attention away from that once we see how good you are. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Amen.